Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Dan McQueen. He is a survivor of two traumatic brain injuries, and he had to learn how to walk, talk, and smile again. And now he is a speaker to help change people's perspectives and share good information, stories, and be inspirational. So I'm grateful to have Dan here today. Thank you so much, Dan. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Thanks, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah, as the introduction alluded to, I'm a um, speaker now. So I'm speaking about my experience after a traumatic brain injury in 2014. Now, what was happening was I was living in London, England, jolly old. I started having these headaches that were horrible, and they got worse after a few weeks. I was taking painkillers like candy for them, and my head was pounding. I went to A&E twice, which is accident and emergency in the UK. They thought it was vertigo, and they sent me home. They gave me some prescription for that. But they told me on the second visit after I left that um, if the headaches were to continue, I should get my eyes checked in an optometrist. Headaches continued, so I went to the optometrist the next day. I was in the middle of the exam. The optometrist, Mr. Patel, he stopped the exam. Midway through the exam, he stopped and he gave me a sealed envelope, which is not a casual move. And he told me it would directly to Moorfield's hospital, which I did. Well, sort of. I first stopped at home to grab a Jack Reacher book by Lee Childs. I figured I'd be in for a bit of a wait and want something to read. And I grabbed some lunch and I grabbed a phone charger as I wanted to kind of resolve this. And I was kind of committed to sticking it out for the day to see what happened. Uh, escalated me to uh, Moorfields Hospital and escalated me to Charing Cross Hospital. Turns out I had a dangerous buildup of pressure in my brain caused from a non-cancerous system I had. Turns out I needed emergency brain surgery. Turns out my life was about to change. Uh, emailed my folks in Canada, dropping the old, looks like I'm having brain surgery tomorrow. Uh, mom was looking at flights to be there when I woke up in London. Called my manager and messaged a few friends. Don't think I'll be on Monday, I told them. Mom was in the air flying to London on June 21st, 2014, when I was on the operating table. Something went wrong and had a massive bleed in the brain, brain hemorrhage. They think the cyst burst when they operated. My mom lands and finds I'm in critical condition. I was in a coma for four weeks, but was in and out of consciousness for months after this. Things were dicey, touch and go. When I was in a coma, they had to keep my core temperature down below 40 degrees, otherwise I'd be brain damaged. So these ice blankets above and below me to keep my core temperature down. This led to violent shivering. My family says it was horrible to watch. When all of a sudden done, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again. Um, I remember waking up in the hospital to see my brother, mom, and dad around me. I'm trying to speak to them, but I can't talk because I had a tracheotomy and it hadn't. I, my voice box hadn't healed yet. I'm trying to communicate with them, but I can't. And I point to my brother and I go, "Give me a pen and paper." And I scribble on a pen and paper. I go, "Get me out of here." And I pointed at him and I pointed at the paper and said, yeah, I'm about to make it happen. Of course he didn't. Uh, I was hooked up to tubes and hoses and would be in the hospital for months after this. But my initial reaction was, let's get the hell out of here. Um, after this, you know, I had to learn how to walk, talk, and smile again. Like I spent months in rehab center where I learned how to walk in. In order to walk in, I had to wear a splint. 
Now, a splint is a, a cast you wear over your leg that helps stretch it out. What had happened was in the coma, my leg had bent at an angle and the muscle had atrophied. So we had to stretch the leg out and then we could build up muscle on it. So I'd stretch it out in the, le- in the, in the nighttime and I'd rehab it during the day. The first night I wore the splint through the night, no issue, no problem. This will be easy, I thought. This will be easy. It wasn't easy. The second night, it was uh, painful after 20 minutes. After 30 minutes, it was dreadful. After 40, it was unbearable. We took the splint off. But I told the nurses, you know, we're doing this for an hour tomorrow. I can handle the pain. I'm a walker. In order to walk, I had to wear the splint. So the third night, they wrapped my leg up. Give me the, the nurse call button, the clicker, which I call it. Set the timer for one hour, and they go for patrol the Wolfson Ward. And the Wolfson Ward's an L shape, right? Short on this side, long on this side, like an L. They uh, they take off for the patrol of the Wolfson. After 10 minutes, it's painful. After 20, it's dreadful. After 30, it's unbearable. We're doing this for half an hour. This is, we're doing this for an hour. This is insane. Whose idea was this? I started passing the clicker back and forth. My hands trying to distract myself from the pain. As the pain ratchets up, my throws get more enthusiastic. So eventually, inevitably, I drop the clicker and it falls off the bed. Not only does it clear me, but it clears the bed and lands on the floor, the hard linoleum floor, three and a half feet down the ground. The solution to my problem's right there. I can see it lying on the ground, looking back at me. But if I drop down three and a half feet, it might break my arm. In fact, I reasoned out of a 50-50 chance me break my arm, a coin flip. Not good odds. I'm clawing at my splint trying to undo it, but it's done up at the ankle, not at the hip. I can't reach it. Help. Help, I yell. Ward of the Wolfson's in L shape, short on this side, long on this side. They're at the far end of the ward. They can't hear me. So I'm sat there with 30 minutes left on the board. With the solution to my problem lying right there, but I can't reach it. I decided, you know what? At the very least, I'm going out. I'm going out on my terms. I'm reaching for that clicker. I decided to flip the coin. I dropped down to grab the clicker. That's a yard sale. Blankets, cables, wires. The arm holds. I hammer the clicker, expecting them to come bursting in the room to come to my rescue. They kind of strolled in five minutes later. What are you doing on the floor? Are you okay? What's going on here? Yeah, I'm all fine. Let's take the splint off my leg, please. Now, I'm telling you this story because there's two lessons I learned from this. The first is don't pass the clicker back and forth. That's not a good, not a good vibe. I should also mention that I have double vision, which means I can't see any of that. <laughs> which the why I thought passing the clicker back and forth was a good idea is beyond me. The second was let's do the splint up at the hip, not at the ankle. That way I can undo the shit that's happened again. Micro learnings, not massive mic drop moments, but incremental improvements that you do that compound over time. Happy to say I never made this mistake again. Everything in my vibe is better than yesterday. I'm trying to improve myself better than yesterday. I'm very happy to say this never happened again. With the help of the splint, I was able to start walking in the halls of the Wolfson and building myself back up. It was arduous, it was painful, it was slow. One step forward, three steps back. But I got back, and I got back to walking. Um, it's been trying, difficult, stressful, rewarding, enlightening. 
an experience I can only, uh, well, I can share in various forms, but kind of illuminates best over stories um, about what happened when I was in the hospital and rehabbing back. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of the, the base of what happened to me and then I've been building back from this brain injury ever since. Um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully that's enough to, to j- jump off of. Yeah, of course. Um, I think it's a, a good story to start with, um, kind of that immediate learning moment. So now, how long were you in the hospital before first being able to get out? Since when you woke up, that was the first thing you wanted to do. Yeah, I was in the hospital for maybe about eight months. I uh, was released back home. And continue with some rehab at home, and then I was back to work. So what happens? I was just back to work, um, maybe eleven months after this happened. Now I worked at I used to work at Hootsuite, which is a tech company in professional services, so training clients, setting up their dashboards, kind of helping them set up for success. Made it back to work, working two days a week initially for two months, and then I had a setback. And by a setback, I mean. I was found unconscious in my flat by my mom. The shunt that was put on my head after the, the initial brain surgery, the shunt that helps drain the fluid, had blocked leading to hydrocephalus or water on the brain. Uh, I was rushed to the hospital, underwent emergency brain surgery, and woke up in the hospital bed with the beeping heart rate monitor going off. Uh, the sound of the hospital, the smell of the hospital, the smell of the hospital is atrocious, like the sterile, bleak environment where you just, just Oh, it smells disgusting. If you haven't smelled it before, don't, don't. But waking up there and realizing all my progress had washed away. And that second setback was so low. Like I described my my recovery like a W, right? So the first setback is that first point of the W. The recovery is kind of back up. Not all the way back up, but pretty ways back up. But the second setback is much lower than the first drop. I call this the depths of the human experience where... You know, I thought I was making progress and making successful gains in my life only to have that ripped underneath me. All my progress was washed away overnight. And I had to build myself back up. I had to get my mindset right to build back up from this. Like it took a long time to get my, my mindset right. I had to realize that I had done this before. I can build back through this. But that, that took maybe a week of mourning and woes me and pity spiral, I call this. When you feel like, why is this always happening to me? This isn't fair. But that's such a toxic mindset to allow yourself to to like embrace because that's kind of allowing yourself an escape vector to say like you know this is this is not my fault it's not fair but life life's not fair it's not fair that it happened to me it's not fair and what would you like to have happen I could spend my whole time wishing it didn't happen or thinking it's not fair that it happened or I can spend steps to actively resolve my situation. I can actually build myself back up and address the strife that I've faced. This second setback took everything in my body to keep my mindset pure, keep myself moving forwards. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was that second setback. And I got back up. I got back up to work and I was a productive member of that team until... And then the summer I moved back, or last October, I moved back to Vancouver, where I live now, with the same tech company. Uh, and then last 
last summer I was let go from that job. Part of a corporate restructuring. So 400 people lost their job in one day. I was on the wrong side of a spreadsheet. I lost the job. Nine years, nine and a half years after being this with the company, right? It's a bit of a shock, a bit of a hit. I went out for lunch. I had a few margaritas. What was me, a bit of pity spiral action here. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to become a motivational speaker tomorrow. So that means I need to go and buy a computer today. Now, don't get me wrong. There was still about a week of mourning after this, but I decided to make that, that switch in my mindset that day. I'm buying a computer today, and that's what I'm calling you on today. And I kind of realized, if not now, when? If not who? If not me, who? And I kind of decided that I'm going to take this down with everything I got. So now I'm a speaker. I'm actually speaking at a school next week. And I'm doing a number of speaking engagements. I got a demo reel that's about to drop or that's already dropped. And a website that's going to be one live, hopefully, in the next week or two and, and make this great, make this a go of this. So it's uh, exciting times, stressful, frustrating. But the process of improving, the process of building back is what I want to do. And that's what I call chop wood, carry water is the process. So whenever I think about, like, what are you doing? The process, the process, the process. Don't focus on what the results are. The process of building back, putting time into building my assets, my, my demo reel, my website. Sp- speaking with a friend today about brand building today at a coffee shop, and that was the process of building that up and talking about the amount of work that's going to take. And, you know, I'm feeling like a bit stressed about it. And but it's the process of improving and building this up in a way that I can make this successful. And that's what I'm chasing down. And I call that, I call that chop wood, carry water. And that's kind of allowing yourself to focus on the process and not the outcome. So you kind of made this switch. It sounds pretty immediately from being laid off to I'm going to go in a different direction. I want to be a motivational speaker. So what was that switch like for you? And how did you kind of make that decision? Well, I think the big thing here is like acceptance. Um, now, don't make it seem like I was, you know, I went for lunch and I decided I'm a motivational speaker and went and bought the computer the next day. But I was still downtrodden for a little while after this like it wasn't like an immediate switch but i made that choice that afternoon that lunch but the time that you face the time you can get to acceptance is shrunk after the first brain hemorrhage is maybe a month the second setback was maybe a week this job loss was maybe an afternoon that's not to say i was totally free and clear of this after an afternoon but i made the choice after the afternoon for that lunch then be a speaker acceptance is the best thing well the best thing the fastest way to make yourself move forward is to accept something. You know, you can't you can't impact it, you can't change it, but it is what it is. By wishing something didn't happen, you're not actively resolving it. You're not actively fixing it. I can spend the next month wishing something didn't happen, but at the end of that month, I'm still in square one. But if I accept it and move forwards, I can take steps to proactively improve my lot and have forward momentum and progress. So acceptance is big in this. And it's something that I try to pass along people I speak with. It's not easy to say that. It's not easy to listen to it. It's not easy to do, but that's the way you gotta go about it. Right. Now you had the second setback with the brain hemorrhage. Are you doing physically better that there is not concern of it happening again? Yeah, no, my, uh, I've had a few MRIs. Well, I've had probably a dozen, six MRIs since then. 
which uh, is what they do to check the shunt. But to be honest, the shunt blocked a month after I had an MRI last time. So like as long as it's not blocked during the MRI, it's not going to show up any issues. But I think the the shunts kind of formed a new pathway for the fluid to drain in my brain. And it's been free and clear. I had surgery two months or last month for the eyes. So I still have double vision, which means I see two of you. But it's uh, it's correct the double vision quite a bit. So it was a lot straighter before. It used to be um, one and one's kind of on an angle. Now it's a bit closer together. And I'm going to have surgery on the other eye, hopefully in a month or two. The idea is to hopefully correct the double vision or at least give it a shot to merge into one. Because the eyes are an extension of your brain, right? And the double vision means I see two always. So I have two videos playing in my brain and it can't compute it into one. I used to wear an eye patch, but I got so sick wearing the bloody eye patch, I moved to a contact lens. I went to a safari in South Africa and decided, you know what, dust and dirt might get in my eye, so I stopped wearing the contact lens. I realized, you know what, I quite like seeing the peripheral vision with the double vision, so I'm going to do that. And I move forward with that. Um, challenge is one thing I talk about, and there's a few examples of that, not only with the contact lens and the, and the eye patch, but also I used to have to shower wearing, using a bath mat to keep myself stable. Like it was a bath mat that I'd wear, and I'd, I'd hang it up to dry in the, in the bathroom every day to dry during the day. And I'd see this, this bath mat in the bathroom, and I'd see this fucking thing and it would remind me that I'm not good enough to stand. It would remind me that I can't stand without help. I need help to shower. And it drove me mental until one day I said, you know what? I'm not using this bloody Batman anymore. I'm not using it anymore. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to stop cold turkey and stop using this and never turn back. But unless you challenge these notions or where the edges are of what you can do, you don't know where that edge is. But that bath mat was thrown out after that shower and after that day and never looked back. One final example I'll share with you is I used to walk with a stick, a walking stick, a cane, because my gait and my walking pace is a bit difficult. The splint that I wore on the leg left, you know, like I was walking the limb for a while. And so the cane was there to help. Until I took a trip back to Vancouver, my hometown when I lived in London. I forgot the cane in London. But I managed to find without the cane, so we just we stopped using the cane. You don't know where your limits are unless you push it to the point where you could fail. And then you can kind of feel at the edges of where your existence is. But the cane, the bath mat, all these things I would not know existed unless I pushed to the point of failure. And once you blow past that barrier, you're like, hey, you know what? I don't need the cane anymore. I don't need the bath mat anymore. I can do this without that. It's quite quite empowering and quite a good feeling of success and triumph. And of course, I would assume that those sort of things weren't part of your life prior to these brain injuries. Was the double vision also something that came with that? Yeah, so before this happened, I was a healthy and active 20-year-old guy living and working in London. Played lots of sports, very social, no health issues at all. The brain injury caused the double vision and not being able to walk for six months or four months caused the, the leg to seize up and the splint had to be worn and the, the, scot, the cane had to be used as a result of that. So before this happened, I was healthy and active. 
no issues at all, but all results of brain injury, yes. And so then are you at this point kind of in a like healthy, active place? Yeah, so I'm working out most days. So I always say mood follows action. So I'm a big believer in working out. I didn't work out this morning because I went for a swim and a gym yesterday. But I usually do exercise every day, whether it be a walk, a gym, a swim. Mood follows action, as Ritual says. And I'm a big believer in this. Um, so I'll do that every day because I think that really resets your mind. Whenever you're stressed, feeling overwhelmed, I would say get into your body, move forward action. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very healthy now. Uh, no issues, save the television, which is still something I'm working through, but that's not, I'm not drawing a line under that yet. I've got one surgery that just happened maybe last month. I'm going to have another surgery hopefully in two months' time. And I'm hopeful that it may at least will improve the television. So, hopefully, allow my eye to move a bit better than it is now. But it's, uh, onwards and upwards. And so how does the double vision impact your day-to-day activities? Well, it's quite tiresome to see two and you just got two movies in your head all the time and one overlaps the other, but it's not a perfect overlap. It's like a bit of an overlap with an angle. So It's like my mind is constantly searching for the right image and what one that is. So when I'm moving around, it can be quite difficult to pick out the right one quickly. Uh, it's just a lot of bandwidth to kind of decipher that and to understand what's going on. I'm much better now than it was in the past, but it's not the simplest and it's not the easiest on your brain. And sometimes it tires me out quite a bit. When I'm in a stressful environment, I have to kind of sometimes turn down the volume certain degrees. And what I mean by this is like, for instance, in London, I have all these hacks that kind of help me navigate London as quite a busy city. I have a hack called icebreakers. And that's when you walk behind someone in the same direction and you let them break the ice for you. So you kind of draft off them and let them break the head on traffic. Reduces the bandwidth, reduces the strike that you feel. These are all designed to kind of help you reduce your fatigue levels. Brain injury, people have something called fatigue. And it's not like, you know, I get fatigued too, Dan. It's, like, well, it's a bit different. It's more like molasses. And when the fatigue really sets in, you kind of get stuck in this molasses vibe and you can't live your life as you would in the, in, before the molasses kind of happened. So when you can reduce the strife and strain you face, you're much better at, um, at navigating the world. And I've got a bunch of hacks that kind of help you navigate this. One last one I'll share with you, uh, Sarah, is that um, jumping in the tube in London. So the tube's how you get around London. It's like a subway. Uh, I had one called Betting on the Ponies. So I called this hack. You get in the tube and you start identifying where you gamble people are going to get off based on how they're, they're dressed. So if they're, you know, suit and tie, maybe central. So you kind of box out certain seats hopefully trying to claim a seat because if you can sit on the tube, you can reduce the strain you face and every little bit counts for bandwidth, for strife, for strain, for, for fatigue levels. And you're kind of gamifying this, having fun with the icebreakers, with the betting on the ponies. You kind of view this as a challenge and you understand, you know, how to rise to the challenge and it makes it less, less difficult to attend and less difficult to, to navigate. 
And then would you be willing to share kind of like how you ended up in London from Vancouver and what the differences were like in general outside of everything you've gone through in your personal life? Yeah, for sure. So I moved to Sweden initially after Vancouver to do a master's for leadership for sustainability. Love Sweden. Gorgeous city. Picked up a lot of interesting habits and hacks there. Love the Fika vibe. Now, Fika is Swedish for coffee break. Chance to go for a walk. Grab a nice cake, a lovely coffee. Enjoy the Fika vibe. It's a it's a great spot. I was living in Malmo, so the very south of Sweden, so it's quite mild compared to the rest of the country, although it's still pretty frigid, if I'm honest. Uh, but after that, I moved to London. So I moved to London with the hopes of staying in Europe a bit longer and got a job in tech. So for Hootsuite, I was working on the support team initially. We had an office in Soho Square, which is quite central London. Now, London's a very vibrant city uh, full of restaurants and cafes and nights out and it's quite fun it's quite it's quite full on it's like uh the most full-on city in, in in europe i'd say not to the same level of new york but on in the same breadth i'd say it's probably new york's probably about a 10 london's probably about an eight or about an eight vancouver's about a six five at times um on terms of busyness and hecticness but London's a great, very big pub culture. People from all over the world. It's the most international city I've been to. On the tube, you can be there and not hear English the whole time. You can hear Arabic, Italian, French, Spanish. Um, Croatian, Finnish, Swedish. Like You can hear all these languages on the tube and not hear English, which is pretty cool. It's the most multicultural city I've ever been in. It's a gorgeous spot, lots of different boroughs. London's made up of boroughs, so different areas. I live predominantly in West London, but I also lived in North London. On Hammersmith and also Turnpike Lane, near um, Chiswick House, or Chiswick House is one area I spent a lot of time in. And I love going for walks along the waterfront in Hammersmith. Some great pubs along there. You can duck in, grab a quick pint. And they did these kind of these warm ales in London. Uh, so they're not carbonated. They're they're kind of lukewarm temperature, which is quite off-putting for a lot of Americans. I know that. I grew to love these. You kind of get them. They got no gas in them, so they're just like a flat, lukewarm beer. But they're quite hearty and um, and and uh, got a good foam and good head to them. Quite lovely. Quite low percentage alcohol too, so you can drink quite a few of them. And just enjoy that pub culture and the Sunday roast is something I really enjoyed in London. One of my favorite things, they had a great spot, the Anglesey Arms, shout out Anglesey Arms in Hammersmith. Uh, they do the best Sunday roast in London. I stand by that. If you go, get the pork belly. Get the pork belly. You're welcome. But the Sunday roast is my favorite thing and I really enjoyed it. It kind of embodies all the best parts about London culture, the pub vibe, an afternoon, you kind of spend this time in this cozy place in the cool, dark winters. It's got a fire going. It's fantastic. Have you been to London? I have, yes. What was your favorite part about London? Oh, gosh. Well, I went while I was a student um, in college. I, 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 so I don't, 
I didn't grow up in a city. I've never lived in a city except for that semester. So I did like the versatility of being able to get around and go to all different places. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to pinpoint one thing, but it, it was really great. May I ask you like what, if you like London right now, what do you think about London right now? Just anything off the top of the head, pubs, trivia, walks, transportation, shopping, what kind of springs to mind? So I was there in um, winter and they had a, like a great Christmas market uh, and, and like Europe in general had great Christmas markets. So that was like definitely the first thing that came to mind. Now, would you yeah. want to move back to London or Europe in general? London? No. I've done that. It's a lovely spot, but it's not home. I lived there for 10 years, nine and a half years. Uh, I moved back to Vancouver last autumn. I've got my indefinite leave to remain tied to my Austrian passport. So I've got an Austrian passport, which is why I moved to Sweden initially. I would move back to Europe for sure. But London, I've kind of let that indefinitely remain lapse because they wouldn't join it to my new passport. So I just said, you know what? I'm not going to go through the bother of reapplying this to my Austrian passport for the opportunity to move back up to two years time. I let it lapse. I kind of burned the boats and decided I'm making a go of this in Vancouver. And I can still move back to Europe and, and live the European Union, which London is no longer a part of because of Brexit. Uh, but London probably not moved back to you, but I love London. I'm always going to love London. I was there this past summer, visiting old friends, enjoying old haunts. Went to that Anglesey Arms for, for pub roast. It was great. It was a lovely city and I spent a lot of time there. So I got big love for London, but I don't think I'll be moving back to anytime soon. Right. And did, did you say, or did I miss it, how you have an Austrian passport? I haven't said that yet. So I, my grandfather was Austrian. So he has a place which we just sold in Austria in Maria Lankwitz. And that's why I've got the Austrian passport. So I went into the master's in Sweden for free. My brother did the same thing as well, because in Europe, if you have an Austrian passport, you can get free higher education in these Scandinavian countries at times. And I thought, this sounds like a pretty good gig. So let's do that. I was looking at master's in Vancouver they're going to cost anywhere from 20 to 30 grand for like sustainability. I thought, well, I get school for free in Sweden. I can spend 20, 30 grand living in Sweden. That's way better. So let's do that. So I, I did that. Now, I wasn't the most studious person, but I was taking in all parts of the culture. If you catch my drift, it was quite a visceral learning experience. It was great. The academic side of things was not my favorite, but it was something that was completed and done. I'm happy to say I have a master's now from Malmo Hochschule. But I loved living in Sweden for a year. It was fantastic. One of the best years of my life. And it sounds like you have traveled to other places. Do you want to share kind of where you've been and what you've done? Sure. Yeah, I've managed to travel around quite a lot in Europe. Uh, all the Scandinavian countries. So uh, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and Finland. And also Iceland. But I've traveled around Europe uh, to Italy, Germany, France. A friend of mine lived in Paris from Paris, so I spent a great week with him in Paris and got toured around there. It was fantastic. 
before this all happened, I backpacked around um, Australia, Southeast Asia. We surfed around Australia. It was great. Lots of great stories. I was meeting up with a friend uh, last night, two nights ago. And we were chatting about stories from Australia. And he, uh, I'm trying to come up with stories that remind me of memories of my past to, to link them to my talk tracks and my talks. And we came up with one that was quite good, and it was around momentum. So momentum is a big part of my story, harnessing momentum and whatnot. This is a great story of us surfing in uh, in Australia on this beach called Wadigos. It's in Byron Bay, I believe, or somewhere about somewhere thereabouts. We found this one beach, Wadigos, that was awesome, but it had this big steep decline to get to the beach. In order to get back up after surfing all day, we had to take a run at this big steep hill, which meant we had to go to the far side of the parking lot, gun the engine, and try to take a run at this hill. By the time we got three quarters of the way to the top, we had to jump out and push the car straight into an oncoming intersection to keep the car moving, otherwise it wouldn't make it up the hill. So momentum was a big part of this. And the reason why I talk about momentum is because momentum in my talk is so key. I've got two types of momentum. Swallow the hairy frog, which I can get into that story later on, but essentially it means jumping into the deep end and doing the most difficult task first or building blocks, which is kind of compounding stuff on top of each other. Uh, so for instance, you come in from work, have to do a load of laundry, I throw the laundry in right before I sit down and relax. You keep the wheel spinning, you don't let it stop because starting the wheel up again is so difficult. So momentum plays a huge part of my life and we kind of learned that from that experience in Australia, trying to get that bloody car up the hill. We had to turn around many times and not make it up that hill, but uh, lots of good experiences. And we traveled through Southeast Asia as well. So Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Thailand. We are 20, 22 at this stage. Like just full of piss and vinegar, enjoying life and causing havoc. It was fantastic. But yeah, travel's played a big part of my life, but uh, the travel of late's been much more responsible and subdued. I think that makes sense as, you know, more life experiences happen and you get older and you need to kind of work around like world the like life a little bit more and and jobs and you know switching into a new career path so it sounds like as you are planning for your talks and different stories and things you can share you're being very strategic in sort of what you want to make sure you share and how to tie it to either your story before or kind of like what you've been through and your resilience to now. Yeah. I think that the key for me is to find like connection points between my stories and, and your experience and stuff you can relate to. There's one story I'll share with you, Sarah, if you don't mind um, regarding what I call constructive optimism. Uh, this one kind of allows you to understand the perspective shifting I can do through my storytelling and through my presenting and speaking. So learning to walk in Toon Broadway was quite a feat, right? I'm, I'm just out of the, the splint. I'm walking with a cane and an eye patch. I'm Bambi on ice. I turned the corner on Toon Broadway. Now Toon Broadway, let me give you a bit of context on Toon Broadway. It's what they call up and coming, which means it's a bit dodgy, a bit hectic. Think sirens, loud noises, dirty, grimy, drugs, gangs. It's hectic. I turned the corner on Toon Broadway, immediately get slammed into by someone. I stagger back a few feet. 
Someone scurries past me on the right-hand side, brushes past me. Someone's been stabbed on the sidewalk in front of me. You know, this is a pretty wild place I'm going to walk. After a few days of this, I'm thinking, this place sucks to walk, man. This is the worst place I'm going to walk in the world. Until one day, my perspective shifted. Maybe this isn't the worst place I'm going to walk in the world. Maybe this is the best place. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. I'd be on looking forward to my walks. Bump into me, crash past me, good, bring it on. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. Now, tuning route didn't change, right? Still up and coming as far as I'm aware today, but it went from the worst to the best in my mind, and I reflected that. When you look forward to what you're doing, the task you have at hand, you'll be amazed at how much more benefit you can gain from it. How much more you're driven to succeed when you're not dreading it. What are you looking at in your life that you think is the worst that could be the best? That subtle shift in perspective made all the difference in my vibe. I'm hoping to enlighten and also showcase maybe how those lessons I learned can be implemented in your life. I think that's one of my stronger stories in terms of how I can shift your perspective and not tell you how to shift your perspective, but showcase how I shifted my perspective. Maybe you can draw some parallels between your own life. Hopefully that makes some sense, Sarah. It does. Yeah, I think shifting perspectives on situations like that or other ones is very important. Do you have any suggestions on like how to go about shifting perspective if you find yourself in a negative headspace? I always say mood follows action. So exercise is big. Walking, gym, swimming. How can you do that? Why get into this? Well, you prove you prove promises to yourself. Like you want to build resilience. And that's kind of big part of my talk too is building resilience. How do you build resilience, may I ask? Well, you keep promises to yourself. So I'm going to meditate every day this week for, I do it for 25 minutes. Now that seems like a long time. I started with two minutes in the morning. I did two minutes for a week. The next week I do four. Then I do six, then I do eight. Before you know it, I've got a body of evidence to showcase I'm a resilient person. Look at what I've done. I've, I've meditated for two minutes, then four minutes, six minutes, eight minutes. You're building yourself confidence because you're someone who keeps promises to yourself. This is for meditation. Now exercise. You know, big exercise. You don't go to the gym. That's fine. Walk for a block. Next week, walk for two blocks. Then four walks. Then six blocks. You build this up gradually over time. You're not trying to boil the ocean. You're building this up gradually. Small steps, chop wood, carry water. And you build up a body of evidence to showcase you that you're, you know, you are someone who keeps promises yourself. I can do this because look what I've done up to the stage. Before you know it, you've got a body of evidence to showcase, you know what, I'm a resilient person. I can do what I say I'm going to do. I've meditated for four weeks. I've, I've walked every weekend. I've increased my walks by blocks. And this isn't going to like snap you out of initially, but you start building up a body of evidence that showcases you that maybe I am a resilient person. Maybe I can do this. Because if you think you can, or you think you can, you're right. Whatever you think you are is what you are, right? Right. Now you have kind of like all these little sayings and words. You mentioned earlier something about kind of like, diving in first to like the cold water, doing the hard thing first. I do not remember exactly how you said it. Um, 
But if you're aware of what I'm attempting to say, can you share kind of what that was in that story? Yeah, for sure. So swallow the hairy frog. So I used to swim Monday mornings before work. So I'd wake up early. I wake up at five o'clock and go to the pool. And I go to the pool and I go to the go to work with like two bags. So I was real popular on the tube, I'll tell you that much. And I'm coming back, I'm leaving work in the lift with my manager or my HR manager. She goes, Oh, you got a lot of bags here. What's going on? And I said, Oh, I went swimming this morning before work. And she goes, Oh, you swallowed the hairy frog. And I go, That's that's not a thing. You know, you swallowed the hairy frog. You did the most difficult task in the morning. That's not a thing. So hair of the dog, it's like drinking after a tough night. You're kind of compounding the hurt. And swallow the frog are two expressions just combined. So I made of this mug that's got this hairy frog and this, his frog is combing his back hair with a comb. And it says, hashtag swallow the hairy frog. So every time I went for a swim before work on Monday mornings, I would put a post on my Instagram of the same walkway to my pool with hashtag swallow the hairy frog. So that's a reminder of like momentum, do the most difficult task first thing in the morning and your day gets a lot easier because no matter how you slice it, I've already done this. I swallowed the hairy frog, I've swam today. So whatever happens on Monday morning, I've done that first and foremost success. In life, if you treat life this way, you can manage to navigate life in a way that kind of allows you to do the difficult task first and swallow the hairy frog. So every time I've got something I don't want to do. I do it first thing in the morning because that way I'm more likely to get it done. As much as I hate doing it, like like taxes or filing stuff or email stuff, like I, I do it because I know if I don't do it first, I'm not going to want to do it. But if I do it first, I swallow the hairy frog. Life gets a bit easier. You turn down the stuff for the rest of your day. And so how did you kind of come about? I mean, you kind of, you know, shared that one expression right there, but... How did you kind of come upon all of these isms and ways of life that you are now being able to share out and inspire others? Yeah, thanks. I think like, I don't know, like life's about gamification for me. Like I want to have fun. So I'm having ways to have fun in my life. Like the brain injury is not a fun thing, right? It's not fun to have double vision. It's not fun to do any of this stuff. But if you can find the fun in the situation, you can make it less crappy. You can turn down the suck, so to speak. So if I'm swallowing the hairy frog, if I'm finding icebreakers every day, if I'm betting on the ponies on the tube, like I'm making life fun. You're having fun with this stuff. And when you're having fun, it's amazing how much you can accomplish and do. And you're not dreading this because maybe I can find an icebreaker here. Maybe I can find a pony that's going to work and then I can bend the right pony in the tube. And you're just making life lighter and, and enjoyable. I've got a podcast that's a bit on pause right now. It's called Play Loose, Look Tight, Documenting the Process of Life After. So play loose, look tight. What does that mean? Let me detail that detail for you. Play loose. Joie de vivre. Have fun. Play is the key word. That's the first word in the thing. Play. Play loose, meaning you want to have fun with life. Life's for enjoying, life's for living. Conversely, you want to look tight, meaning you want to look put together, look intentional, be on purpose. Show up for work, your commitments, and yourself. Dress accordingly. Play loose, look tight. Um, that's why the name of the podcast is such. But that's, I don't know, the way I approach life, and that's why it's been called that way. So it's just like if you can find ways in life to make it 
less arduous, less stressful, less tough, you can enjoy it. And I mean, life's meant to be enjoyed. Not, you know, you shouldn't be wishing you don't have to do something or this sucks. You, you get to do this. You get to do this. When you can shift your perspective on that element of things, and you can address some of that strife and that difficulty. And when you start playing, it becomes a lot less difficult to do this. Definitely. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners today? Uh, I'd like to share that uh, I'm my website's going to be up hopefully next week, mcqueendan.com. I'm speaking now for a lot of organizations and schools. I'm actually off to a school next week for grade 11 class at Argyle Secondary School, which should be quite cool. But if you want to get in touch with regards to speaking and that, please reach out to my website. You can look at my demo reel and we'll go from there. Great. And I'll make sure, of course, to leave that in the description. Now, at the end of all of my episodes with my guests, I do ask a random question. So my question for you today is what is your least favorite holiday? Least favorite holiday. Um, least favorite holiday. Love Thanksgiving, love Christmas. Easter is pretty good too. Um, least favorite holiday. I think Easter can be a bit overrated. Why? I don't know. It's just like I'm giving you an answer. I don't know. Sorry, Easter fans. I don't know. All right, that brings this episode to a close. So as Dan just mentioned, I will be leaving his website in the description. And if you'd like to connect with him on Instagram or Twitter, those links will be in the description as well. So feel free to go reach out to him and connect with him. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as well. That of course brings you to our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. It also brings you to all of our past episodes, past resources, past social media of guests. So feel free to check all of that out. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to send me an email. I always look forward to meeting new people. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that in the description as well. So thank you so much, Dan, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Cheers. Cheers.